Well, good morning, friends. So good to have you join us this morning again, wherever you are. And uh, I hope you're having a great morning. I'm Pastor Steve, and it's just great to be here. I, you know, it was great too. I, I also appreciated what Seth had to say about writing down what you praise God for. I think that's always uh, a good practice. And I wasn't on the computer, but I want you to know I did write down something, and I, I wrote it down. It says, I'm praising God for you. Um, for you, all of you out there that are, that are being so faithful during this time. And I know we hear stories about how you're caring for each other and how you're caring for your neighbors. And we see evidence of it as our, our pantry here is overflowing and yet still continuing to inflow and outflow. And it's so great to see. And so thank you so much. I'm just so appreciative of your kind words, so appreciative of your continuing uh, support of us financially. All of those things that have just blessed us here at Friends. You know, um, this is May. And we, uh, we take a look at what the governor's saying and, and things are loosening up as some places are opening and we're working at it. As I mentioned in a video uh, announcement that was on our website and Facebook this week, we're paying attention to what's going on and we're getting ready. We don't know the time, we don't know when, we don't know exactly how it'll look, but we're getting ready to when we're all together again. So just look, something to look forward to as we continue now in our series, Family Ties, as we're looking through the book of Ephesians into what God is doing in, in the community of the body of Christ, how he's bringing together the Jew and the Gentile, how he's making us one into a new family. And, and so we come to the end here of chapter 3. Uh, chapters 1 through 3 are really the theological portion of this book where Paul is laying out his plan and his purpose, God's plan and God's purpose of what he's doing. And then starting next week as we get into chapter 4, we start to see the practicalities of, of how that's lived out. And so I encourage you to hang in there with us as we look at what God is saying, but also what he wants to do in our midst. But today we're in chapter three and in chapter three, Paul is, um, he's kind of reintroducing himself again. It's kind of an extension and a repeat of some of the things he's said in the first couple chapters, but he's returning to reminding them of the mystery the mystery that's been revealed to him and that he has been preaching throughout Asia. The mystery that the Gentiles are now part of this family with the Jews and, and together we are, we are part of the family of God. We are heirs. We have an inheritance. We are in equal footing. And in verse 7 of chapter 3, he writes this, By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Now, I want you to note something here. It's, it's, this is not just theology for Paul. It's just not knowing. And we mentioned that last two weeks ago when we talked about the difference between know and know. He's tasted, he's seen, he's experienced God's grace. He's experienced God's power. I tell you, give me one person. Give me one person who has experienced God's grace and power versus a hundred who know about it. Give me one person. And Paul is that person. He said, I've experienced because of God's grace, because of his mighty, because of his mighty power. And that's why at the end of chapter one, he prayed for us that we would know his incomparably great power. 
for Paul, this was personal. And he goes on in verse 8, he says this, Though I am the least deserving of all of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. He's, Paul is saying, I'm so undeserving. And we know his story, and they knew his story. But he's saying, I have been given this privilege. That's why I chose this version, the, the New Living Translation today, because it uses that word privilege. I just think that's such a great word to think about sharing the gospel of Christ. It's a privilege to be able to share. Remember, Paul is writing this in prison. He's in prison. He's not free. He's been in prison. He's been in shipwrecks. He's been beaten. He's been all of those things that he talks about. And yet he still says this is a privilege to be able to share the gospel. I get to deliver the good news. I get to unveil the mystery. And he's pumped about it. Reminds me of a sermon preached by one of my heroes in the faith, the old um, Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon. Over 150 years ago, he was preaching a sermon on the joys of sharing the good news to the world. And he made this observation. Listen to it. Let's just listen. If a herald were sent to a besieged city with the tidings that no terms of capitulation would be offered, but that every rebel, without exception, should be put to death, Methinks he would go with lingering footsteps, halting by the way to let out his heavy heart with sobs and groans. Methinks Spurgeon's right. <laughs> bad news, especially that kind of bad news, is not easy to deliver. And when that bad news involves death, and soon death, we don't go flippantly delivering that news. We go haltingly with a heavy heart, with sobs and groans. Normally that kind of news comes from doctors. You know, we've maybe been part of that. Maybe we've received that news, heard that news, been with somebody who's received that news. Bad news. We've also sometimes relegate the delivering of bad news to police officers or military officials as they come and share the bad news of death. Most of the time, when we deliver bad news, it's not quite like that. I know um, I've had to deliver bad news many, many times over my career. Uh, I was for over 30 years in public accounting and in the business of preparing taxes. And it seemed like every year, no matter how much planning was done, no matter how much communication, and some clients don't communicate at all, they just come in once a year. But there was always that one or two cases where I knew this tax that was going to be due was a lot more than they expected. And I had a feeling that when they got the word, they're, um, well, let's put it this way, they tend to kill the messenger <laughs> and not the message. And so it was with um, groaning and sobs sometimes, so not quite, but I would pick up the phone to dial and to deliver that bad news. It wasn't joyful. It wasn't, oh boy, I get to make this call. No, 
It's, it's a call of, uh, I got some bad news for you. You owe tax. You owe a lot of tax. I remember one time, well, several times where uh, because of my position, I had to let go employees and fire employees. And one time, it was one of those cases where not only do you have to go in and tell them that they're, they no longer have a job, but you say, I have to sit here and watch you while you put your personal things in a box, and then I have to escort you to the door. When I woke up the morning that I needed to share that news, I didn't wake up thinking, oh, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, no, I woke up with a heavy heart. Spurgeon feels that. I think Paul feels that. In fact, during this letter to the people in Ephesus, Paul reminded them of the bad news. Back in chapter 2, verse 1, he says this to his readers. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Paul's reminding them they lived in sin. They lived like the world. They obeyed Satan. But you know what else he says? In fact, he goes on in verse 3. It wasn't just you. It was me too. It was all of us, Jew and Gentile alike. We all lived and were dead in our trespasses, in our sins. We all lived that way. We all deserved God's anger. We all deserved God's wrath. The same things he was telling to the, the people and the Christians in Rome in chapter 3 when he says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The same thing he said in chapter 6 of Romans, but the wages of sin is death. That's why Paul told the Ephesians, you are dead in your sins, or you were dead in your sins. Monday morning, I had to do my devotions as our daily pastoral devotions that we're posting online. And I've been kind of following the pray scriptures that we've been reading through and through Ephesians here, and those are available if you're looking for those on our website under the Grow tab. And um, I came to this, and it was Monday, and my job, if I was going to do the pray scripture, was to read and consider verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. And it was all of this. You're dead in your sins. You're dead in your transgressions. You're, you know, you're, you're following Satan. You're, you deserve God's wrath. And, and I thought, wow, I don't want to share that bad news on a magnificent Monday. <laughs> I said, that's, that's bad news. Why do I want to start off the week when I'm trying to encourage folks and, and lift you up by sharing your sinners, you're, gonna, you're dead. You've made God angry. You deserve his wrath. And I, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> so I said, I, I'm going to go somewhere else that day because that was bad news. That's the job of a prophet. That's the job of someone like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, to go around telling the bad news. But that's why Spurgeon says that delivering bad news should cause our hearts to be heavy and sobs and groans. Even Jesus, even Jesus carried this heavy heart within him. On that great day, the, 
The day he rode into the city of Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, people are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're throwing down their cloaks. They're waving the palm branches. But, but, Matt, but we're told in Luke that Jesus, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. He wept over it. His heart was heavy. Because he knew what was going to happen. I think he looked at the faces of those who were in the crowd knowing that they would reject him. He knew that the city would turn on him and that it would not be too many years until that town, that city is left in rubble. The temple would be destroyed. I believe God still looks at our cities today cities of millions of people and his heart breaks when he knows they have rejected him when they know when he knows they are dead in their sins when he knows that they are leading a life that leads to destruction how does your heart ache for the cities and sobs and groans or are we pretty casual about it? So many lost souls wandering about. That's why, again, Spurgeon, when contemplating what the herald would say when delivering the bad news, says, methinks he would go with lingering footsteps, halting by the way, to let out his heavy heart in sobs and groans. However, Spurgeon then adds this. He says this, listen, but, get that but, if instead he were commissioned to go to the gates with the white flag to proclaim a free pardon, a general act of amnesty and oblivion, surely he would run as though he had wings to his heels with joyful alacrity to tell his fellow citizens the good pleasure of their merciful king. Can you, can you imagine, with wings to his heels, his feet wouldn't touch the ground. He is so excited to share this good news that he goes actually with joyful alacrity. Now, if you're like me, you're saying, what is alacrity? <laughs> I got to admit, I read this, and maybe some of you are smarter than I am. Your vocabulary is bigger, but I had to look up. What does Spurgeon mean when he says joyful alacrity? Well, alacrity is great willingness, enthusiasm. You see, Spurgeon is saying if we got the good news to deliver, that life is being offered instead of death, that we go with joyful willingness and enthusiasm. We are excited to share the good news. Pardon has been offered. And that good news lifts us to when we go to share it, our feet don't even hit the ground. Wings to our souls, our heels. And Spurgeon concludes with this. He says, heralds of salvation, ye carry the most joyful of all messages to the sons of men. Well, you know what a herald is. 
A herald is a messenger or a proclaimer. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. We get to deliver the message of salvation. The angels, the heralds came with a, a message of good tidings, of great joy, that a Savior was coming. This is the message that Paul has been sharing, well, all through his letters, but specifically here in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians. We've got this great news. It's been a mystery. God's kept it a mystery. But now he's unveiled it. That all of us, every one of us, all have sinned. All will die. But the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus Christ came because God so loved the world. And that world includes the Jew. It includes the Gentile. It includes men. It includes women. It includes the rich. It includes the poor. It includes us all. The mystery's been revealed the most joyful of all messages. But you know, good news only makes sense when you know the bad news. The bad news is you were dead or we are dead in our transgressions and sins. But the good news blows that bad news away. I love what Chuck Colson says. He says, the gospel of Jesus Christ must be the bad news of the conviction of sin before it can be the good news of redemption. So Paul, Paul, so Paul follows this bad news in Ephesians chapter 2 with good news. The bad news that we are dead in our trans, we're dead in our transgressions and sin with the good news of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. This is one of those but God passages. But God took what was dead and he made it alive. Even when we were dead, he made us alive. And he goes on in those verses after that to remind us it was nothing that we did. It was not our good works. <laughs> it was not our efforts. It was not all those great deeds we did or how good looking we are. None of that mattered. It was the grace of God. It was, it was God's plan from the beginning that we would have new eternal life, that it would be available to everybody and that it was offered through Jesus Christ because of God's grace. The good news overwhelms the bad news. And so, back to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul starts to talk a little more about this master plan. And he begins in verse 9 with this. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's look again at that middle verse, verse 10. 
He says, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church. The church, his body, the body of believers, us, to display his wisdom in its rich variety to the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was God's master plan and his master purpose. The purpose of the church is to display the glory of God, the wisdom of God to the world. And here it says we witness to not just to the seen world, but to the unseen world. Even the angels are looking down and when they see the church, when they see what God has done, when they see this plan unraveling or being shown, the mysterious plan being revealed, they praise God for his wisdom. You see, the church is God's masterpiece. The church is the city on the hill that people look and they see the goodness and the glory of God. We witness to a world of seen and unseen. You know, and I even think in this time that how neat it is that this witness has already been multiplied. You know, there, there are basically three and you can argue over the purposes of the church, but basically three purposes of the church. The first purpose of the church is to worship. It's to, it's to be a, a ministry, ministry to God. And so I can imagine as God is, is looking down on us on a Sunday. Two months ago, he would have looked down on the United States and he would have seen about 380,000, give or take 10, 20,000, 380,000 churches meeting around this great country. And I could see, looking down and see lights, lights, and 380,000 lights, congregations worshiping and praising God. But you know, these last couple months, that's been multiplied. The lights shining that were 380,000 are now shining all over this great country. Statistics tell us that 23% of Americans say that they attend church every week. So, if just the 23% who say they attend church every week are worshiping together some way today, somehow, online, however they might be worshiping, 23% of those are doing that. Well, and if the average household, which we know in 2019 is 2.52 people, that means there are 30 million households today, or today worshiping God. There are 30 million points of light around this country that are pointing to the wisdom, the glory of God, and showing our light to a world that needs to see it. Another purpose of the church is to nurture. Uh, Paul teaches us that um, the church should be building us up, equipping us so that we all can be presented mature in Christ. That's the ministry to the believers. But the third purpose to the church is evangelism and mercy. It's a ministry to the world. And there are millions and millions and millions more that haven't heard. But even there are those down your street. There are those in your school. There are those at your workplace. And so many times these three, the, the worship and the nurture and the evangelism and mercy are not, are not in balance. 
We, we, we do great worship or we do great nurturing and growing each other and learning theology, but, but so many times we're lacking on this sharing the good news of letting the world see the wisdom of God through the church, through your life, through my life. We need to understand that we've received this good news. We've been adopted into this great family. We have this tremendous inheritance, but we must also understand this. We are not just the recipients of God's grace, but we are the channels of God's grace to the world. We are not just the recipients of God's grace, but we are the channel of God's grace to the world. Methinks that's a huge responsibility. But methinks we should do it with joyful alacrity. We should be out there with enthusiasm sharing the good news of the gospel of Christ. That's what, that's what Paul was so excited about. He said, I am privileged to do it. Do we share this good news that our friends, our neighbors, can have life? And are we excited to tell them about it? Our job, our purpose, one of our purposes is in, in, in caring and, and in evangelism to reach out to a world that is hurting and a world that is dying. When Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.18, he says this, all of this is from God, and he's talking about being a new creation. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He said, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation to tell, to tell the, the, the lost around us that they can have their relationship with God restored, that they can become reconciled, that they can become part of the family, that they can become adopted, that they can have this inheritance of eternal life. God's given us that ministry because he has reconciled us. Now we must share that ministry of reconciliation. Last week, Pastor Eric said there's always room for more. There's always room for more, but they need to know. How will they hear unless they hear from a preacher or a messenger or a, you know, someone who would share the herald that would come? And that herald is us. So this week, um, three little words I'd like you to remember as you think about, first of all, how can I and who can I share this good news with? There are three little words. I think you can remember them. The first word is prayer. Start off with prayer this week. And if you may need to pray for yourself first, if you don't have that joyful alacrity, <laughs> you know, if you're not enthusiastic about sharing the word of God, if, and if, on the other hand, if knowing that your friends are dead in their sins and transgressions doesn't break your heart, begin with prayer for yourself. I believe if you say, God, I want to experience your grace and your power, it'll change your heart. He'll give you that heavy heart for the lost and that joy to share the good news. So start with prayer. And then while you're doing that, pray, pray for the person or persons that God's laid on your heart. Pray for him. Say, Lord, 
uh, give me an opportunity. Lord, draw them to you. Lord, may, may something be done in their lives that they see you in a new way this week. So you got prayer. And then there's a second word, care. Care for them. You know, the, burden, the, the job of the church is evangelism and mercy. And so many times we need to start off with, our first line when we go up to somebody is not, hey, you're dead in your sins. So many times the first line is, how you doing? What can I do for you? What needs do you have? How can I, how can I show my love to you? How can I show you that I care? So, reach out to that person. And I know we're limited sometimes this week, although things are starting to loosen up a bit, but there's limited ways maybe we can care. But, but certainly uh, even a note, a phone call, a text, an email, whatever that might be. Delivering some cookies, doing something nice. Let folks know you care. Buying some groceries. And then finally, prayer, care, and share. At the right time, when God opens the opportunity is when you share the good news. Oh, as Colson and so many others have said, um, the, you probably have to share some bad news first. I mean, what's, how are you going to tell somebody that, uh, oh, Christ brings us life if they don't know they're dead in their sins? But do it um, out of a heart. First of all, do it with joyful alacrity and uh, share that news with, with love, with with, with passion, with kindness. But if you've cared for them, how much more it, that will be received? You know, isn't it natural to want to share good news? How about the best news? The greatest news? What's stopping us? What's stopping us? Methinks that's the master's purpose for us to share that news. This week, I encourage you, prayer, care, and share, and see what God might do in your life. I'm excited about what God's doing. I'm excited about what he's gonna do when we're back together. And I'm excited uh, for you as you share, and then, you know, as you share and hear and share with friends, if, let us know the results of those. So much appreciate that. But I encourage you this week, take this message, the bad news and the good news, and go share it joyfully with those who need it. For closing, I'd like to pray a prayer for you this morning. In that prayer, you've heard some of it in the worship set. But as Paul closes this chapter, and really as Paul closes this section of theology, chapters one through three, he prays a prayer for the Ephesians. And I'd like to pray that for you as we close this morning. Let's pray. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of God's holy people 
to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all we ask or imagine, according to his great power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. In the next few minutes, there'll be some questions on, the scr- on your screens, rolling about every five minutes that you can sit together and talk and reflect. If you're alone, just take time to maybe reflect on them and maybe do some writing, some journaling would be a great time. And don't forget, in about 15 minutes, the cafe will be ready to go with Pastor Eric. Look forward to touching base with you there. In the meantime, have a great week, everybody. Serve the Lord. Prayer, care, and share. Don't forget, we'll see you again next Sunday.